And I'm going to say this for the very last time. I'm going to be a global icon for mainstream porn when it comes to performing, directing, being a pornographer, being an intimacy coordinator, being an intimacy choreographer, being a recruiter, being a talent manager, and being a producer. These are all the same roles I'm going to be playing in ethical porn. So, I'm, when it comes to mainstream porn, I decided that I'm going to bring more of an emphasis to that world. For example, mainstream porn, I'm going to highlight um, sex workers' rights, meaning the human rights, the right, the human rights of sex workers, the right to health of sex workers, and the labor rights of sex workers. It's going to be emphasized. We're uh, fully, and we're going to, I'm going to help in the mainstream world not only institute sex workers' rights, not only institute uh, women's rights, but to institute uh, human rights for all. The laws obey. Uh, we go to bank. We go to adult, merchant, bank-friendly people, and um, we cater to people with sexual trauma and sexual issues. Cater to LGBTQ plus people. We do sex-positive parenting and comprehensive sex education inclusive. All these things I'm going to put more emphasis when it comes to mainstream porn. And, um, you know, the human, the human rights law includes non-binary individuals, people of all gender identities, all sexual orientations, and all sex characteristics, and men, men too. So, um, I'm really honored to even say that. So, I'm not against mainstream porn. I'm against unethical practices in all industries. So I want ethical practice to be what mainstream porn is known for. I want to put that more in the mainstream world. So I'm going to be a global icon for many reasons. One of the reasons I'm a global icon is because of me helping mainstream porn include more people that they don't know to think of, or maybe business models may make them focus more people, but I'm like, hey, let me include everybody, and you're known for ethical practices, cool. Other than that, you know, it's all good, you know? Um, when I say that, it's all good, meaning if you follow those two things, you'll be all good, you know, that's what I meant to say. And, um, I wouldn't mind having leadership roles, camera roles in the mainstream porn world. I really wouldn't mind that at all. So it's just, I'm glad to think in the ways that I do. Uh, and we gotta love on our adult video performers, phone sex operators, webcam models, dancing strip clubs, and others who provide sex-related services. You also got to love on our support personnel, such as managers, agents, videographers, club bouncers, and others. You got to love on them and include them in the human rights for all law-abiding world, too. We got to make sure they're included in sex workers' rights, too. But they're part of it. Us meaning future help people like me. 
So that being said, now I can officially conclude the religion and sex together episode. So I'm taking a one month break. As soon as I end the episode, I'm not going to go back and do another religion and sex episode for one month. I'm tired and I need to sleep all the way well because there's rest for my mind, rest for my heart, rest for my body, rest for my soul, rest for my memories, and rest for all of my five senses, and rest for all my six senses, my instincts. Over and out, I did the episode that I was supposed to do. And You know what the episode's about, and I'm officially through. I'm formally through. And one more thing. I'm multi-orgasmic. I'm multi-orgasmic. So I experience multiple orgasms. I'm full body orgasms, so I experience full body orgasms, and I'm, I'm into full body exploration in every which way. I'm into full soul exploration by just being of sweet neighborliness, and that is, and that is an aspect of my sex life that I concentrate on the most. the last episode that I'll be combining religion and sex. I've done my last religion episode uh, in the previous episode. I'm going to take a one month break from doing an episode with just strictly religion talks. And the day before that, I did my last sex episode talking strictly about sex. And so... This is the last combination of religion and sex in one episode. So here we go. This is Susanna Wyatt. Um, she's a contributing writer for Everyday Feminism. She's a New York-based writer whose work has appeared in the Washington Post alone. 17 Busby, the Huffington Post, Busby Moore. Shows degrees in gender and sexuality studies, modern culture, media, and cognitive neuroscience from Brown University. You can follow her on Twitter at Susanna Wyatt. Read her articles here, everydayfeminism.org. Three empowering sex tips we should be giving young women February 12, 2017. This is what Susanna says. Like many girls, I got my first sex tips from women's magazines. I learned how to stand to appear thinner when naked. I learned which positions put my sexy body parts on display. I learned hundreds of ways I should touch a penis whether I liked it or not. Sex sounded grown up and exciting, but also scary, though I couldn't pinpoint why. I totally see why now, though. It's not like sex would make me an object. Like once I walked through the door of a man's, it was always presumed to be a man's bedroom. I leave my humanity on the other side of it. Actually having sex as a teenager was equally confusing. I wanted to be my partner's hot, sexy lover and their fellow human, but I always felt like I had to pick one. When I tried to be both, they punished me for it. In college, after enthusiastically initiating a hookup with someone I met at a frat party and openly enjoying it, he got behind me and air thumped me in front of his friend while I was trying to talk. It felt like his way of saying, in case you got as much out of this as me, I'm going to make sure you still don't leave feeling equal, as if my comfort with the situation took the fun away from him, as if he were trying to win a game aimed at convincing me to hook up and I wasn't even letting him play. He learned it, too, that women's role in sex was to deny or, quote-unquote, give in to what men wanted, not what any, not want anything themselves, and that LGBTQ plus people don't exist, apparently. I didn't just learn this from magazines. I learned it from musicians who implicitly or explicitly referred to their sexual partners as, quote-unquote, bitches, quote-unquote, hoes, and conquests. 
I observed it on TV shows that existed to let men ogle naked women. I learned it from men who treated rape as quote-unquote locker room behavior. Thankfully, during college and after, I observed other ideas about sex and women's role in it. Here are some of the healthy messages I've gotten and wish we've all gotten sooner. One, do what you desire, not what you're just okay with. Desire was strangely absent from the sex lessons I received from adults and peers alike, or at least the desires of people other than men were absent. I learned all about men's supposed desires. I learned men's desires were uncontrollable, that they would try to use me to satiate them, that I had the quote-unquote powerful position of deciding if their desires would be fulfilled, if they were quote-unquote nice guys who didn't rape, that is. In addition to erasing non-binary people, this belief system renders women incapable of consent. You can't, after all, consent to something you don't desire. So until I understood that my desires mattered, sex seemed by nature non-consensual. No wonder it scared me. Then in my freshman year of college, I, I went to a talk about sex. And, and unlike other sex talks I attended, it didn't reduce women to victims. Do what you desire, not what you're just okay, not what you're just okay with, the speaker said. Before I thought about, before I thought being okay was the most I could hope for, I thought if a guy wants to do something, you're okay with it. It was just spiteful not to let him do it. But as this speaker recognized, that sets you up for an unequal exchange and makes consent blurry. Instead, he suggested, say no if you're not excited about something, you can always change your mind. I learned another version of this advice at a at a cuddle party years later. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. I take it a step further. If it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. By affirming people's right to say hell yes, we help them say no when there's no hell yes in them. I say it this way. By affirming people's right to say hell yes, we help them say hell no when there's no hell yes in them. And by affirming the right to say no, we make room for more hell yeses to safely come out. I say it this way. And by affirming their right to say hell no, we make room for more hell yeses to safely come out. Two, express what you're thinking and ask your partner what they're thinking. Women's magazines offer tips for the hottest thing to say in bed, but they rarely taught me to express how I actually felt. And they also didn't teach me how to figure out how my partners felt. Any vocalizations that happened in bed were supposed to be for the sake of a performance. Communication in the bedroom should accomplish the opposite, though, expressing what you're truly thinking. I didn't know it was okay to say I wanted sex or more sex or different kind of sex. I didn't know it was okay to admit the current activity was doing absolutely nothing for me. I didn't know it was okay to say if I was in pain or to say I felt pressure into something. Those things weren't quote-unquote guaranteed to turn them on after all. But expressing what you're thinking is more than okay. It should be a requirement, especially if the alternative is to be uncomfortable or unsatisfied. This also means it's important to find out what your partners are thinking, particularly when you're not sure what they want. Discussions of sexual violence usually paint women merely as potential victims or survivors, but we are highly capable of ignoring others' boundaries and pressuring them. Instead of teaching women to merely compliment their partner's sexual prowess, questions like, do you want this? Are you good? What do you want? Do you like that? Should be a part of everyone's vocabulary. This not only makes sex, this not only makes sex better, but it's also vital for keeping it consensual. And no, it doesn't quote unquote kill the mood. And what other activity is talking to your companion considered a detraction from the fun? Three, make sure you're getting as much out of this as your partner and vice versa. I put that second part of parentheses because women already know this. We're taught it's our job to ensure our partners are getting at, at least as much out of the encounter as we are. And instead of college, college students' attitude toward hookup, one woman said, I would do everything in my power to like whoever I'm with to get them all. Here's what another woman said of receiving pleasure in hookups. I didn't feel comfortable. I guess I don't know. I think I felt kind of guilty almost. Like I felt like I was kind of subjecting guys to something they didn't want to do and I felt bad about it makes sense then that men are most more likely to receive oral sex than women during college hookups and both teen boys and teen girls say oral is a bigger deal and it's performed on a woman. I always thought I understood that I deserved as much as my partners. It seems like common sense that both people should get something equal out of every exchange, right? 
But like the latter student, I never expected orgasms from my sexual encounters. Since I wasn't getting them, I seen my body wasn't difficult when I was on my own. That's what we're taught. Women are harder to please. Their bodies are quote-unquote tricky. Men are microwaves while women are ovens. Wrongfully assumed that all women are cisgender, these statements usually attribute such differences to sexual anatomy. Then when we don't get much pleasure out of sex, we think, well, that's just my body being all womanly and complicated again. No, it's fucking not. It could be a number of things like anxiety getting in the way, lack of knowledge on your your partner's part, or a lack of effort on their part. But it's not the inevitable result of you being a woman. We deserve to stop resigning ourselves to meh sex lives and go after what we want. The idea that we shouldn't pursue our desires sets us back in all sorts of ways outside the bedroom. It's time we take back our damn right to pleasure in all areas. Because all these tips basically boil down to is this. It's totally valid to have a sexuality, express it, and expect others to care about it. I never cease to be amazed by how people are, I never cease to be amazed by how confused people are when women have a sexuality. When I talk about masturbation, porn, or anything else to suggest, or anything else to even suggest I'm a sexual being, one of several things happens. People assume I'm looking to be subservient to men because I'm obviously just sexual for them. They resent me for seeking my own pleasure. They assume I'm just hypersexual and quote unquote out there. When people react negatively to women being sexual, what they're really doing is reacting negatively to women being human. When we teach women not to be sexual, just be sexy, we're denying their humanity. Of course, women and everyone can be sexy if they fucking want to. If they fucking want. But they also unconditionally deserve the right to be sexual, whether sexy or not. Hope that one day it'll be normal for a woman to have a sexuality because that means people honor her expression of it. Also, people abandon the shitty cliche, the bullshit cliche. Women want this, men want that model of sex and honor the sexualities of people of all different genders and sexual orientations. Nope, we can move forward. I hope we can move toward that by giving everyone these alternative quote-unquote sex tips. You know, this is helping me with my sex life, and I want to explain. Um, because I, I'm learning, uh, I'm teaching myself about ethical sexuality when it comes to how women define it for themselves. Ethical, ethical sexuality for men and how they define it for themselves, ethical sexuality for non-binary people and how they define it for themselves, and ethical sexuality for gender and sexually diverse persons, how, how we all define it for ourselves. So um, I'm thankful to know these things because I was subconsciously taught these things when it come, when it came to the sexual abusive part of my childhood. And so articles like this are, are, I'm literally healing and figuratively healing as I do episodes, podcasts, one of my forms of therapy. I get to self-clarify and you all get to hear me do that. And so I'm, I am healing for you all to say that it's loud healing. I'm engaging in loud healing. Um, so I want to I'm going to be doing more episodes like this in the future. Because it does need a, a, a legitimate uh, conversation. So now I'm thinking about how these things can apply to all people who are um, LGBTQI plus as well, including men. So 
I have to do this, y'all. I'm gonna do two articles on this. Yes. Actually, three more. I'm feeling it. I am feeling the need to do it. So, I don't see why I can't. But before I do, I want to be able to quickly mention our last religion statements, okay? I do want to say that when it comes to the concept of a loving God, I would say that there's this book called Sacred Pathway, so let's say God is real. I would say that as a naturalist, I am most inspired to love God out of doors and natural setting. Um, as an activist, I love God through confronting evil, battling injustice, and working to make the world a better place. As a caregiver, I love God by loving others and meeting their needs. As an enthusiast, I love God through celebration. As a contemplative, I love God through adoration. As an intellectual, I love God by studying with my mind. And as an aesthetic, I love God in solitude and simplicity. As a, I'm all for non-tribalistic traditionalism. So I would love God through non-tribalistic rituals, non-tribalistic liturgies, non-tribalistic symbols and non-tribal unchanging structures and as a sensei i love god with all my senses so as a sensei i love god with my senses and i appreciate beautiful non-tribalistic worship services that involve my sight taste smell and touch not just my ears so Let's say God is real. That means I would enjoy intimacy with God by being outdoors, studying, singing, reading, dancing, creating art, serving others, having solitude, enjoying fellowship, and participating in dozens of other activities. That would be me. Woo! Glad I got that out of my system. But I also want to say that I belong to no religion. Love is my religion. And I practice no religion. And my religion is love. So, I am of secularity. That means that My secularity means is that I'm in the state of being unrelated in regards to religion. Um, I would say that my being of irreligion and non-religion means that I am experiencing the absence of religion in my life. Um, I accept Christ-likeness, but I do reject religion. I am for Christ consciousness, but I am indifferent towards um, tribalistic theology. So now I've made all my last religion statements. Let's get back to the sex, shall we? Here we go.
Four bogus stereotypes you might believe about openly sexual women. This is October 20, 2016 by the same author did the last article, Susanna Wyatt. You seem like a very sexual person. A few years ago, I probably would have said, yes, I am. In response to this comment from someone I'd recently met and told I write about sex relationships. In fact, I used to, oh, to, self, I used to self-identify as a very sexual person. So I realized that's what we call women just for being sexual, period. I get a lot of comments like this for doing nothing out of the ordinary. People have assumed I have a ton of sexes because I admit to enjoying sex and I'm super kinky because I own sex toys and I'm into casual sex because I talk about sexuality. When people call me a very sexual person, what they're really saying is that they didn't expect me to be sexual at all. So any level of sexuality expressing, I express seems high to me. A whole lot of sexist heteronormative assumptions go into that reaction since it's based on a binary view of gender and sexuality that says men are sexual predators, women are prey, and sex exclusively occurs between men and women. While I don't subscribe to this view, this article will be addressing it since it affects how people treat me. Here are a few myths about openly sexual women that leads to comments like you seem like a very sexual person. One, we're unusual. One of the biggest myths about openly sexual women is that we just don't exist. Yet many women and gender minorities are sexual beings, just like many men are. Some are asexual, but then again, some men are. Our view of women are as less sexual stems from our view of women as less human. Men are supposedly subjects of desire, while women are just objects of it. This applies not just to sexual desires, but also to other desires, like the desire for career success or food. Though desire is depicted as unfeminine, it's really not related to gender. If it seems like women are less sexual than men, maybe that's because we're not socially permitted to be. One study found that when women were told they would have a positive experience and not be judged, they were just as interested in casual sex as men. Yet women still seem to make headlines just for admitting to, to having sexual desires. I once ended up in the Daily Mail simply for stating that I could simultaneously be interested in sex and wait till I was in a relationship to do it and quote, quote, insisting my partners respect that. Which leads us to the next myth. Two, we're interested in casual sex. Some openly sexual women are interested in casual sex, but some aren't. Talking about sexual desires is one thing, and physically acting on them is another. I don't judge anybody for wanting casual sex. It's just, it's just not usually for me. This is what Susanna Wise is saying. Since physical and emotional intimacy tend to go together in my experience, that's Susanna Wise's experience, she's the author. That doesn't make me less sexual, it just means I'm more likely to be enjoying my sexuality with a long-term partner alone. Even if I didn't have any sex, that wouldn't make me less sexual either. You can be sexual in whatever way you want, even if it's just in your thoughts and feelings. And contrary to what we're taught, a woman does not need a man to make her a sexual being. The idea that women who are openly sexual all want casual sex comes from the stereotype that we're quote-unquote wild. This belief in turn stems from the virgin slash whore dichotomy or the Madonna complex that says a woman is either a quote-unquote good girl who doesn't have sex or is a quote-unquote bad girl who parties all the time. A woman can be both sexual and care about connection with a partner. A woman can be sexual and be a devoted mother. A woman can be sexual and be devoted to her career. A woman can be sexual and be anything. And, and, and even if she does have casual sex a part of life, that isn't quote-unquote bad or quote-unquote wild. It's completely morally neutral. Three, we're this way to please men. Part of the reason people assume that women who are openly sexual are into casual sex is that they think we're basically into whatever men want. And there's unfortunately a stereotype that that's all men want. In many people's minds, the only way for women to be sexual is for them to cater to men since it's not assumed that women have sexual desires themselves. So many people assume that I must engage in a lot of sexual acts that are typically depicted as ways to please men. The whole notion of sexual quote-unquote favors is problematic in the first place because it implies certain sexual action be neutral. Plus, the assumption that my sexuality exists for men is heteronormative since not all women are interested in men. There's, there's an even deeper issue, though. The assumption that women and sexuality exist for other people. This assumption comes out, comes out in the belief that a woman who has sex is up for anything. One friend of mine, for example, once hooked up with a guy and then found out he had, quote-unquote, recommended her to his friend. Another met two guys who told her they would argue over which one she would sleep with 
without her indicating interest in sleeping with any of them. In both cases, the woman's attraction was deemed totally irrelevant, maybe because it didn't occur to these men that women felt attraction or desire. This leads to the assumption that any sexual act they engage in would be for the sake of the men. This belief can become especially dangerous when we some time. For example, I once went home with a guy after a party who expected me to perform oral sex. He seemed genuinely confused that I could enthusiastically want to hook up and not want to do everything he wanted. I was doing this for him after all, right? Wrong. Women who have sex are often doing it for their own pleasure because women have desires and pleasure themselves. Or we're super kinky. There's nothing wrong with being into kink, but the assumption that all openly sexual women are is problematic because it stems from the same virgin slash short dichotomy, the Madonna complex that leads people to assume we must also be into casual sex. When it comes to sexuality, we tend to think of women as all or nothing. Either they're very reluctant to have sex and not get into it, or they're up for literally anything and everything, more accurately, anything and everything a man suggests, see number three. When Amber Rose said she wasn't into kink, has had a threesome or anal sex, wasn't into casual sex, Daily Mail wrote about her surprisingly tame sexual history, quote-unquote. But why would it be surprising when she never indicated otherwise? Because she's open about sex, so people assume she's sexually adventurous. A woman can be completely vanilla and have a high sex drive, and someone can be super into kink and be less sexual. These things are not related. We don't really have these stereotypes of men who are open about sex. When male authors write about sex, it's considered great literature, not quote-unquote trash, as it is when women do. When men reference masturbation, people are surprised because artists seem like they masturbate. Men who are openly sexual aren't hypersexual or kinky or into casual sex or quote-unquote wild. They're just people. Why do we treat women who are open about sex as unusual? The fact that we view women who are sexual as the exception reveals that we by default think of women as asexual. More precisely, we think of them as sexy but not sexual as Paris Hilton once described herself. A woman who wants something other than to be wanted is a radical prospect and it definitely should not be. And it definitely should not be. The idea that a woman's sexual purpose to be the object of men's desires is especially damaging. Compared to sexual assault and eating disorders and the sets women back in the politics of workplace and every area where their advancement requires people to acknowledge what they want. When we promote stereotypes about sexual women, we encourage this idea. So next time you think a woman seems like a very sexual person, ask yourself what you mean by that. Is she really particularly sexual or is she just sexual? Chances are it's the latter because there's really no such thing as quote unquote particularly sexual. All levels of sexual desirement, all levels of sexual desire are normal. And nobody should have to feel abnormal just for being honest about who about how they and their bodies work. I love this article. I must admit some things too. Um, I'm into casual sex. Um, I am both sexual, but I care about connection with my partners. Um, I am sexual and I'm devoted to my career as well as my purpose slash calling as they call it in a secular way. And I am sexual, but I could be anything. Um, and I do like to party, but I do party in moderation, talking about me here. Um, I'm into kink. I like threesomes and group sex. I like anal sex, giving and receiving. Um, I have a high sex drive, and yes, I'm super into kink. And I like unconventional sex. I don't mind having vanilla sex, though. I do masturbate. I'm into mutual masturbation, lower masturbation, but yes, I'm into mutual masturbatory ejaculation. I'm also into solo masturbatory ejaculation too. 
right, but I, but either way, we we clean up after ourselves, regardless of whatever sexual activity, sexual happening engagement. I am into oral sex, giving and receiving. Um, I I enjoy vaginal sex. And yes, I am hypersexual, but no, I do not have a sexual addiction. And no, I do not have a porn addiction. And no, I don't have neurotica addiction. I I use porn viewing and duplicating in moderation, as well as jacking off to it. And I read and watch erotica and apply the erotica that I'm reading and watching in moderation, but I, and I do jack off to that as well. And I'm wild, but I'm buck wild in moderation. I'm wild with the right people. Um, but yes, I'm hypersexual. I have an extremely sky-high sex drive, but it doesn't fuck up my life. And it doesn't fuck up other people's lives. That's a beautiful thing. No one shitted on, not even me, nobody else. No one shitted on. And I'm sexy and I'm sexual. And yes, I'm kinky. I'm super kinky. I'm super freaky, I'm a super freak, I'm a freak. And there and it's all healthy when it comes to me. It's all ethical and humane when it comes to me. And I do hookups, yes, yes I do. Um I do say that I am a I, I am gonna say that I am a safer sexual health practices type of person. So I do safe sex only, and that's it. Um, my physical and emotional intimacy is a part of my casual sex. I'm able to have casual sex and have an emotional connection, a physical connection, but we're not in a serious relationship. I'm one of the, I'm a rare breed that way, and I'm okay with that. I am an I am an openly sexual person and I am a very sexual person. I am a very openly sexual person and I'm also an openly very sexual person. Um, I'm not unusual. Um, I am who I am because that is how my nature was formed. I have sexual desires myself. I have sexual needs myself. Um, I am open about sex, and yes, I am sexually adventurous. Um, and I do have a colorful sexual history. I do acknowledge that. Um, I overcame the good boy, bad boy, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde dichotomy that is placed on male assigned at birth like I am, even though I'm queer and non-binary. Obviously, I am. Um, I do enjoy sex, and I'm a fan of sex toys. And I must admit, I'm the type of person that has a ton of sex. I have lots of sex, but all in 
health, wellness, and not too much, not too little, it's all just right when it comes to me. And I like to engage in a lot of sexual acts, but it's non-problematic for me. And I do favors with people do favors with me. And at the same time, there's no shittiness occurring at all. So, I also want to be able to do this last article, okay? For this episode, September 27, 2015. This is saying why again. 12 reasons why there's orgasm and equity. No, it's not that women are harder to please. I was young when I came to discover masturbation. I had orgasms long before I knew what they were. Nothing about it seemed complicated. I just rubbed, quote unquote, down there for a few minutes and it happened. But later, magazines, comedy routines, and sitcoms taught me that my body and vaginas in general were mysterious and complex, all too complex for those without them to figure out. So from what I've been taught, orgasms weren't as simple with partners as they were by myself. This is to be expected to some extent. There's a learning curve when you're getting to know someone new. What confused me was that not everyone seemed eager to learn. Sorry, I unnecessarily apologize to a partner for taking what I thought was too long. It's okay, I know it's harder for girls, he said, and then stop. Compounding the lack of effort I encountered from some, though not all, partners, it became harder for men to orgasm when I started SSRI antidepressants. I told my doctor, she said, oh, that's hard for a lot of women anyway. I knew my body long and well enough to know being a woman wasn't to blame, but others didn't share my view that the problem was fixable. I grew hesitant to bring it up with partners out of fear that asking them to perform the supposedly impossible feat of getting a woman off was too demanding. Orgasm doesn't have to be the focus of sex, but if a woman wants one, she should have as much of a right to request it as anyone else does. And people say that women's bodies are more difficult, and these generalizations typically refer to cis women and are accompanied by rants about how complicated vaginas are. They teach cis women an orgasm is too tall in order. Trans women also have a slew of sexual stigmas attached to them when Kaya Ching Tom describes here, though they though they're beyond the scope of this article. In addition, though most research on orgasm and equity has studied cis women, trans non-binary people with giants may relate to the frustration of being taught that genitals are impossible to decode too. The view that cis women are hard to please maintains what sociologists call the orgasm gap in which men have three orgasms for everyone a woman enjoys. 57% of women orgasm during all or most of their sexual encounters, but 95% say their partners do. These statistics may appear to confirm the stereotype that women's bodies are more complicated, but there are other forces at work. As sociologist Lisa Wade points out, the orgasm gap is, is the orgasm gap is conditional. Lesbians report orgasming 74.7% of the time. Only 10 percentage points lower than gay men. In addition, women take under four minutes on average to masturbate to orgasm. If these statistics don't convince you that there's more to the gap, there's more to the orgasm gap than biology. There are 12 cultural factors that contribute to it. One, people believe women are less sexual. Women, the story goes, aren't that into sex. They may enjoy it, but they do it partially in exchange for validation, commitment, or financial support, popular wisdom says. As long as a woman is getting one of those things, she doesn't need much out of the sex itself. To the contrary, a lot of research and lived experience indicate that women are as capable of wanting and enjoying sex as men. Until we acknowledge this, we won't prioritize making sex as enjoyable as possible for women because we'll believe sexual pleasure isn't as important to them. It may not be because women themselves may buy into myths about their gender, neglecting their desires because they're not supposed to have them. If they do, then their partners just miss out on balanced sexual interactions, not to mention fun. Two, pornography privileges male pleasure. 
most people who have watched porn videos know that they typically culminate with a quote-unquote money shot in which the man comes and then the scene ends. Most women focus orgasms depicted in porn are merely incidental events on the path to a man's pleasure. Additionally, most mainstream porn scenes feel incomplete without blowjobs, while cunnilingus is less common. Cunnilingus means, quote-unquote, eating out. All in all, the message is clear. It's imperative that a man gets off, and if a woman manages to, in the process, props to him, but it's just an added bonus. Three, the myth of blue balls persists. Blue balls, according to Orbit Dictionary, is the excruciating excruciating pain a man receives when his balls, testicles, swell to the size of coconuts because of lack of sex. Unfinished BJ's blowjobs, just not coming, ejaculating, when he knows he should. The entitlement reflecting this description's characteristic of most use of the term quote-unquote blue balls. While vasocongestion, the accumulation of blood flow to the genitals can occasionally cause mild pain in people with any genitals, this is not what men are usually referring to when they complain about blue balls. And whether they're experiencing this or just sexual frustration, it's never in us's duty to relieve it. Even though most women know no medical condition results from an erection that doesn't lead to an orgasm, many of us feel guilty for not providing one. So in addition to some men's lack of effort to pleasure women, the pressure many women feel to pleasure men maintains the orgasm gap. Four, there's more information in the media about pleasing cis men than women. As a teenager, my secret guilty pleasure was buying copies of Cosmo from the drugstore and hiding them under my pillow to read at night. I read all their sex articles just because I found anything sex-related tiltillating. I, I, that, that's personally me. I do find anything sex-related tiltillating for myself, but I'm gonna get back to Susanna. But, I, but along the way, I learned all about different tricks to please men and cis men specifically. By the time I encountered a real-life penis, I already knew all the basic tricks in the book, plus some out-there ones my dude friends urged me not to try. I don't know what most teenagers boys secret reading material was, but there aren't many mainstream men's magazines that are obsessed with pleasing women as women are with pleasing men. If anything, I've heard it's common for boys to sneak glimpses of Playboy, which is also geared toward pleasing men. Maybe this explains why 25% of men and 30% of women can't locate the clitoris, the clit, on a diagram. Amid all the advice we read about different ways to hold and touch a penis, may remain in the dark about vulvas and vaginas. Five, hookup culture privileges male pleasure. I'll do everything in my power to like whoever I'm with to get them off on one set in a study by Elizabeth Armstrong on college hookups. But when it came to my own pleasure, women held different expectations. The guy kind of expects to get off while the woman doesn't expect him to. The woman in another study by Lisa Waits said, Accordingly, one man in Armstrong's study boasted, I'm all about making her orgasm, but when I asked to clarify the word her, he added, girlfriend her, and a hookup her, I don't give a shit. Perhaps he sensed that women don't expect much from their hookups. Statistics about women's orgasms reflect these attitudes. The ratio of men's and women's orgasms is 3 to 1 to 1. The first time hookups were only 1 to 25 to 1 relationships. For whatever reason, hookup culture appears to have embraced the message espoused by media that women's orgasms are optional, while men's are obligatory. Six, sex education doesn't teach us about pleasure, especially female pleasure. Like many schools in the U.S., mine only had a couple of days a year dedicated to sex education in middle and high school. During, during the initial classes on puberty, the portion about women was on periods, and the portion about men was on erections, ejaculation, and webcam. Some people call their penises dicks and cocks, and some men actually dislike those terminologies referring to their penises. And some women call their vaginas pussies. And some of them actually hate um, to refer to their vaginas in such way. It says, during the initial classes on puberty, a portion about women was on periods, and a portion about men was on erections, ejaculations, and wet dreams. 
Already our bodies are associated with making babies while boys are associated with sexual arousal and pleasure. Oh, another thing I meant to say. Some women refer to their vaginas as sugar walls and some actually are uncomfortable with referring to their vaginas in that way too. Again, already our bodies are associated with making babies, so our bodies are associated with sexual arousal and pleasure. Later on, we learn how to use a condom along with how to complete a very normative sequence of events. You put it on, we were told, and then you have intercourse and someone ejaculates and you pull out and take it off. Men's orgasms, but not women's, were built into our safer sex lesson. Nobody said then you, sh- then you stop whenever you feel like it or your partner may need you to pull out. Because contrary to what we see in porn, not every woman is multi-orgastic and many have a refractory period. So we can't all comfortably keep going until our partner wants to stop. This is one sneaky way we learn to prioritize men's pleasure without ever really learning about pleasure at all. 7. Self-evaluative thoughts can disrupt women's arousal process. Due to the emphasis on women's appearances in mainstream porn and throughout the media, women learn to picture themselves during sex. How does my stomach look from this angle? Does my face look silly or silly? Does my face look sexy or silly in this expression? Would it be sex if I made more noise or a few thoughts that have distracted me in the bedroom? And I, and I don't think I'm alone. 32% of women say that when they don't orgasm, it's all because they're stuck in their, their heads or focused on their looks. Orgasm itself can become a source of performance anxiety. Because the women's orgasms are dramatized in porn and the media, with exaggerated moans and calculated facial expressions, some women feel so much pressure that fear of not coming keeps them from coming. This pressure can also lead women to fake orgasms instead of sticking it out for a real one. Once again, women's magazines don't help. Cosmo even provides a guide on how to look even hotter naked, though even, quote-unquote, even, implies the reader looks hot already the pre-bedroom workout routine the self-tanner application tips make it clear we don't look as hot as we could and even if we do the focus on our partners pleasure not what we see or feel thoughts about partners perceptions place women outside their bodies looking in rather than inside them feeling the sensations of sexual activity is causing this hard to have an orgasm you're not even thinking sexual thoughts number eight sexual trauma can impede arousal orgasm Extremely common for women to experience sexual trauma within their lifetimes. One out of six women have been evicted with attempted or completed rape. According to sex therapist Vanessa Marn, this trauma can have lasting effects on one's sex life. Sexual assault can rob you of enjoyment of sex and make any type of intimacy feel scarce, she said. Some survivors experience feelings of disconnectedness or dissociation when they're having sex. Others can easily get triggered by being touched in certain places in specific ways. Those used to be my, um, I'm pausing talking to me about me and Tony Ray Myers here. Those used to be my issues in sexual trauma, but I have successfully overcome those issues. The residue tries to remind me that they can come back and I just say, fuck you, trauma. You're not going to fuck me over, trauma. That's what I say. Marin recommends that survivors seek out therapy or support groups so they don't have to deal with the effects of their past alone. That's what I was able to successfully do. I still have a support group and I do therapeutic techniques to help myself out. In the short term, Marin has written about has written that reminding yourself you're with your partner, not the person who assaults you, can quell trauma-related sexual problems. Of course, your brain knows that it's them, but this exercise can help the more subconscious parts of your psyche of your psyche start to relax. She writes, other emotions, when discourse we experience around sex, such as guilt and shame, may also lead to orgasmia. Nine, more women than men are on antidepressants. S uh, SSI antidepressants like Prozac and Zoller can cause ornogasmia. The side effect isn't gender specific, but antidepressants themselves are. Between 2000-2010, of American women, but only 50% of men have been prescribed medication for mental health conditions. This may occur because women are more likely to suffer from anxiety and depression, but frequently treated with SSRIs. The medication class was commonly known to cause ornogasmia. There are many theories as to why, but one possible source is this difference in societal misogyny. 
As Ali Logan writes her inside, a lot of the stresses that attack me the most are actually stresses put upon women by society to look and act in certain ways. In addition, women are more likely to seek therapy since toxic sense of masculinity deter men from discussing their emotions. This is one case where the orgasm gap may be related to biological differences, but the sources of these differences are still societal. 10. Women are discouraged from asking for what they want. Women are taught to accommodate others' wishes and put their own on the back burner. To be pleasant and polite and grateful, not ask for more, whether that's food, payment, or sexual pleasure. To bring back Armstrong's research, one woman said she didn't have the quote-unquote right to request an orgasm. Felt kind of guilty almost, like I felt like I was kind of subjecting guys to something they didn't want to do, and I felt bad about it. After like I said quote-unquote sorry many times for requesting or giving myself the, stimu the stimulation I wanted for taking what I thought was too much time and for receiving pleasure without immediately returning it. The same fear that keeps women from voicing their opinions in work meetings or negotiating salaries also keeps us from speaking in bed and all the other sexual settings. But until we can quote-unquote lean in without bumping into hostility, Women can't single-handedly solve this problem in any domain. It's also up to our partners, co-workers, and others to make it clear they want to hear and accommodate our wishes. 11. The normative def def definition of sex isn't optimal for many women's orgasms. When someone says, quote-unquote, sex, most people think of penis and vagina intercourse, even though it means many different things to different people. For example, some couples may see oral sex as sex. Some may also put oral or manual sex on the same level as penetrative sex, but it's still not the norm. By the way, this is me talking here. I enjoy manual sex. I enjoy penetrative sex. Um, let me get back to something. When someone talks about losing their virginity, for instance, we usually assume they're talking about the first time they had penis and vagina intercourse. Okay, one more pause, and I'll regress and talk after. Um, I enjoy pegging, forgiving and receiving. This assumption can be problematic for women who get off more easily through other activities. One survey, 20% of women said they seldom or never had orgasms during intercourse. One 25% say they consistently do. Another 38% said that when they don't orgasm, the common obstacle is quote unquote, not enough clitoral stimulation. Since penetrative sex often doesn't directly stimulate the clitoris, this could explain why other types of sex or clitoral stimulation during intercourse, which women consider the most common way they got off with a partner, may be more optimal. We consider the activities that often help women reach orgasm as warm up or extra. We got we de we deprioritize women's pleasure. Why should we close this article? People think the orgasm gap is biological. Orgasm inequality is a self-fulfilling prophecy. When men believe women's bodies are an impossible puzzle, they don't try to solve it. Neither do women who are taught their own pleasure is inaccessible. That's why it's important we acknowledge all the societal factors that contribute to this discrepancy. Genetics can't be fixed, but a lot of these problems can, which means that closing the orgasm gap is possible. If you're a woman having trouble orgasming, it's likely not you. It may not be the result of any carelessness on your partner's part either. You may just need to talk about it, challenge the bullshit myths, the fucked up myths you've learned about sexuality, and if necessary, seek help from any psychological medical conditions that can contribute to this problem. Maybe it's not a problem at all. Maybe orgasming is an important thing, and that's your choice as well. But if it's something you would like, you have the same right to ask it for it as your partner. If he expects orgasm from you, he shouldn't mind you wanting one. Because he shouldn't be an ass swipe to begin with. It's not too much to ask, and anatomy isn't too complicated. Don't piss off yourself. The only thing that's complicated is the toxic set of messages we're taught about sexuality, but that's not on you or your body. And your part and your partner should not unnecessarily piss off each other. Um. And I'm very um I'm very grateful that this is truly being uh, talked about because it does need um, 
exploration that gets rid of the gender inequity and the sexual gender inequity needs to end, the sexual misogyny needs to end, the sexual misogyny needs to end. Um, so, I am thankful for the fact that I've come to to an end and I'm getting quite exhausted. But I do want to say when it comes to being atheist or agnostic, I'm agnostic. Um, And at the same time, I like to follow Jesus, so I like to be a Christian without religion. 